Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Look, and I remember Tom and, and Mike, one of the reasons I loved their house and their Bible study is Tom and Mike had the coolest toys, man. <laughs> and I was still half kid back then, and they had remote control cars and Legos, and man, we had fun. Anyway, um, <laughs> I ended up becoming uh, Bill's assistant Bible study uh, leader, and every month we would have a, a potluck, and I would always bring macaroni and cheese with chunks of ham in it. And that, was, that was my contribution. And, and, and you know, the thing that, that I remember about those days is, is, is Sue would always, she was always happy to get it. I don't know if she really liked it, but she was, she was always happy that I brought something. I think that was unusual, I think, for a young man. Usually they just brought their appetite. Uh, but uh, I would bring something, and we had a great time. And so uh, I really do love Bill and Sue, and I love uh, uh, their participation in our church. So I want to just say thank you from the yeah. staff, from me, um, and from this whole congregation. You did what job well done. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, we took the time to consider a wonderful revelation in Scripture that I believe we all need to see. Now, let me just say this. I don't believe we need to see this just so that we can give mental assent to this. We need to get this revelation deep into our heart, and that's this. We need to understand the intentionality of God concerning our lives. I want to say this to you today, and, and I hope that you will catch this and get this inside, because I'm going to say it, I'll say it a thousand different ways before I go to heaven. And that's this, you are not random. You are not an accident. You are not just a name or a number on some list somewhere. You are God designed. You are on purpose for a purpose and God has a plan for your life. Now, let me say something to you that that has over the years, that statement, to be honest with you, has bugged me a little bit. God's got a plan for your life. Big deal. Right. That's, you know, generally as Christians, we kind of take that whole idea of God's got a plan and we've heard it so much. It nauseates us because very few of us are walking in the plan of God. And so we hear that statement. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And so we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait, and we see the superstars, they rise up, and we see the, the ones that are gifted and talented, and they're on stage, and it seems like God's using their lives, but we never see the plan unfold in our life, and sometimes we begin to think, well, it's, the plan of God really is reserved for the special people or the real ones that are called and it's not really about me well i want you to know that is a lie from the pit of hell right. because our father in heaven listen to this our father in heaven is wrapped up in every detail of your life yes. i don't care how small of a detail God is wrapped up in it. We are the expression of God's love, love formed and shaped by the hand of God. Yep. We are this morning by design. Yep. 
Are you hearing me? Job chapter 10 verse 8 says, your hands formed me and shaped me. Every nuance, every detail, your, everything about your personality, your likes, your dislikes, your everything, all of it, your spirit, everything about you is handcrafted. But the question this morning that we must answer, and this is the point of this sermon, is are we living up to our design potential? If everything that I just said is true, which it is, because I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture, proving that that is true about your life. If that is true, then are we living up to the design potential? Or is what could have been become what should have been? Think about that for a moment. We have found, and I, I, the truth is I have found, and I think you're probably there with me, how easy it is to sell out yes. what God has so graciously given us yes. for so little. Yes. It's easy to throw it away. It's easy just to get rid of things. Esau, last week we found out, sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. The reality is that, that that story is being repeated daily in modern Christianity. We've become too casual with what God has created in us. You know, I, I think it's like this, if I could just put it maybe on a more human personal level. Have you ever gone somewhere? Have you ever been really hungry and, and you go, okay, you're going to talk to your wife or your husband. What are we going to have for dinner? And so, like our house now ensues a four-hour conversation until somebody comes up with a plan. Not really, but it's it's a conversation. We don't know where where are we gonna go. Uh, you know, what restaurant are you gonna go to? What are we gonna go to Safeway? What are we gonna, what are we gonna do for dinner? Well, finally, a decision is made, and you go you go or you buy or whatever you do, but you eat, and and when you get done, you're so dissatisfied. I mean, because, you know, the food is sitting on your stomach like a bag of wet rags. You know what I'm talking about. You feel full. You feel bloated. It's like, man, I was so looking forward to dinner. I was anticipating this moment where it would be so satisfying. But it has not been. In fact, I feel sick. Not only am I not satisfied, I just don't even feel good. I, 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 has that happened to you? Yeah. Man, that happens to me all the time. You know, I, you know before, I, I, I've kind of grown up. I know it's taken me 53 years to get there, but I'm growing up. And it's, you know, because I used to, I used to you know, crave like McDonald's. I know looking at my body, you'd say, you, not you, not at all. Uh, but, but I did. I craved McDonald's. The other day we were driving down Stockton Hill Road and McDonald's has got a big sign that says, you know, like two Big Macs for five bucks or something like that. And I went, ugh, yeah, I wouldn't even give you a dollar for two. Right. I don't want that junk. I don't want that. And I, I know there's people here that are going, thank God, pastor, you got it. I, but you know what? The reality is I want something that's going to satisfy me. Right. See, I don't want to just be full. I want to be satisfied. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, sometimes in Christianity, we settle for full rather than satisfied. We, we, you know, it's kind of we just eat and we fill up and it's like, okay, that was good. But, you know, was it really what God wanted? Is it really satisfying me? And that's what this is about today. Because I'm telling you, you can be satisfied, not just full. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the question is, how, how then do we maximize our potential? How do we become all that God wants us to be? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 27 and 28. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, instead... God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing the world, the, bring to nothing what the world considers important. Now, the first thing I want you to consider this morning with me is the power of insignificance or the significance of insignificance. I know it still might, even though it's 1120, it still might be a little early for all of those words, but think about it. You know, the significance of insignificance. In Jacob's Ladder, you know, most of you know about Jacob's Ladder. It's our recovery program. A lot of it's based on the 12 steps. And if you know anything about the 12 steps, you'll know that in step one, there's a very interesting step. And basically it says this. It says, I admit that I am powerless over, and you fill in the blank. You could say alcohol or anger or drugs or sin or my separation from God or whatever it might be. And that my life has become unmanageable. And so in the first step, what you're doing is you're coming to a place that you admit that you don't have the power, that you don't have the ability to change anything in your life. That step leads you to the second step, which says, I came to believe that God through Jesus Christ can restore me to sanity. And so the whole point is, is that you come to this place where the only way to become powerful is to admit your powerlessness. So I say to you, it works the same way in significance. And if you're going to be significant, then you have to understand and come to a place where you understand God's desire to use those things that the world declares as insignificant. How many remember the story that Moses, uh, when Moses was called to become the deliverer of Israel, remember the conversation that Moses had with God. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses shows up. He's at the burning bush, and um, God tells him, so I, I want you to go be my deliverer. I want you to, to go do these things. I want you to do all this. And Moses is kind of freaked out. He's trying to really do his best to get out of it. He's backpedaling. He's, he's making every excuse that he can. And finally, he looks at God, and he says, God, you know, uh, what, why is anybody going to believe me? Who, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, you tell them I am sent you. And Moses responds, well, I am. Well, that's a great name. What if they don't believe me? I am sent me. What does that mean, God? And right in the middle of this, this uh, crisis of confidence, Moses is struggling and God finally goes, Moses, what's in your hand? 
That's what he does. He says, what's in your hand? And this is a, this is a question that God has used many, many times. And he uses it to stir us. And Moses says, well, I have a staff in my hand. It's a shepherd's staff. It's probably a stick that he picked up somewhere along the way. And God says, throw it on the ground. And so Moses does. He throws it on the ground. And the Bible says it turned into a serpent. And then God says, pick it up. And he picked it up by the tail and it became a staff. And then God says this. He, he says to him, he says, this is so that they may believe that the Lord has appeared to you. Then God says, take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. So right in the middle of all this that Moses is going through, he's really struggling here. He's, he's not sure if he can do this. He doesn't even know who really is this I am person. <clears throat> and he's really worried. Because, you know, if he goes back to Egypt, he's, he's wanted. Yeah. This is not a little thing. How many know what I'm talking about? And so God says, I'll tell you what, I'll help you out. So God takes the most insignificant thing about him. The stick in his hand. And he says, I'm going to do something with that stick. I'm going to do great wonders and miracles. I, in other words, I'm going to take you, that stick, and me, and we're going to deliver a nation. How many know God's plan is not always our plan? You know, if I'm going to deliver Israel, I'm showing up with B-52s and, you know, uh, F-15s and, you know, stealth technology and all of that stuff. God says, no, I need one man, a stick that will follow me. That's what I need. So think about it. If an old shepherd's staff in the hands of a man that was inspired by God could deliver a nation, imagine what could happen with a man or a woman in the hands of God. No doubt that Moses' story is a remarkable one, but it is not the exception, it is the rule in the Bible. See, the woman with a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, the prophet comes to her and says, go make me a cake first. She goes, and then for three years, the oil and the meal does not waste. She feeds her whole family and the prophet. What did she have in her hand? How about the woman whose son was sold into slavery and now she's trying to buy him back and the prophet says, what do you have? And she says, all I've got is this cruise of oil. He says, go find every container that you can find and then begin to pour. I'm telling you, as long as she would have found containers, the oil would have never, even to this day, if she would have passed that down from generation to generation, it would still be pouring today. David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Gideon had 300 men, a ram's horn, a jar, and a torch. Not my weapons of choice, but he defeated a, a vast army. A small boy with five loaves of bread and two fish fed enough people to feed 5,000 and women and children. Think about it. A little bit goes a long way in the kingdom of God. Here's what you need to hear this morning. No matter how insignificant you think you are or what you possess, no matter who says you're silly or simple or how silly or simple you think your talent is, no matter what your ability you have or don't have in the hands of Jesus, you are more than enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Now, all the stories that we looked at began with something that seemed to be about nothing. And here's the problem. Too often we resist being used in the kingdom of God or stepping out into greater purpose for our lives because we believe we don't have enough for God to work with. Listen, most believers are not in imminent danger of ruining their lives. They're just not. But most are facing the danger that is far greater, and that's wasting their lives. Are you hearing me? See, we are so much better than what we've become. Why? Because God is so much greater than we're allowing him to be. Right now, think about that. You and I are meant for something more than we're doing right now. I don't care how old you are in this place. I don't care how young you are in this place. You are meant for more. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of not enough or just about enough. It's a kingdom of more than enough. You are meant for more. You are meant for more. God has plans for your life. Are you having, are you hearing me? Everything you need, God has given to you right now. One of the enemy's most effective strategy is to get you to focus on what you don't have or what you used to have or what somebody else has. And unfortunately, most of us operate out of a if-then mindset. If I had, then I would. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You need to stop waiting. You need to stop waiting somewhere. You need to rise up. And let me tell you something. This is not about production. This is not about you performing. This is about an attitude of heart. Because, see, God does not measure by the performance. You don't bring in your quota for the day, and God takes his measuring stick out and measures it and goes, well, you're a little light today. Get back out there. That's not what God does. This is about the heart. So even if your life is not, quote, unquote, producing if your heart is in the direction of willing to serve him that says, you know what, God, I surrender. I surrender all. And maybe your day has not come. Maybe your moment to rise is not here yet, but you're preparing your heart. You're saying, you know what, God, I am going to be all that you've called me to be. And that means I need to prepare myself and I need to wait on you that God says you're golden. Can you say amen? Amen. See, somewhere along the line, what we've got to do is we've got to get out of our apathy. Can you say amen? amen? See, and if we're going to live up to our design potential, then we're going to have to confront casual Christianity. See, it seems that there is a prevailing attitude that has risen up among Christians these days. It's an attitude that says the kingdom of God is just not that important. Now, we would never say it that way, church. We would never articulate the words. We would never let the words come out of our mouth. The kingdom of God is not that important. But listen to me. The actions of our life are telling another story. The priorities that have shifted in our life, the plans that we have made, the commitments that have been lost, the time that is passing, all tell a different story than the words that we speak. What happens is over time, if we're not careful, 
It's so easy to slip off the radar. It's so easy just to phone it in. Listen to me, church. I understand what I'm talking about. I, I, I make it an effort every day during the week. Every day I spend time alone with the Lord. And one of the things that I find is a hurdle is when Friday comes, it's my day off. And somehow I seem to not just to take a day off from work, I take a day off from God. Come on now. I got busy. There's Star Trek to watch. Come on. I got weeds to pull in the backyard. I got a barbecue to come up with. You know, I got stuff I got to do. You know, I, hey, I serve God. I love him. I serve him. But it's easy just, you know, to get out of the flow. It's like, you know what? All that movement and all that stuff, that's for those, you know, holy hired men. No, it's not. The Bible says this. Listen, church, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4. You can read it in verse number 11. It says, God gave gifts unto men, some, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Who are you? You're a saint. That's you for the work of the ministry. See, our job in the kingdom of God is to rise up and become what God's called us to be so that he can bring about the plans that he has for his kingdom. You're here on purpose for a purpose. Can, can you say amen? You, all by yourself, are very insignificant. But with God, all things are possible. And you are extremely important to the work of God. You say, but I just got saved. So what? Think about, think about the, you got to think about this for a moment. I just, this blows my mind. Think about timing for a minute. Jesus comes on the scene. He begins his public ministry. He calls his disciples, Peter, James, John, you know, all these guys. They're following him for three years. They have, they have yet to be saved. Jesus hadn't died yet. But now they have been with the master for three years. That's pretty impressive. Then Jesus dies. He raises again. He goes, he's seated next to the father. And the work of the ministry that Jesus both began to do and teach. Read it. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 is given to the disciples. They be now become apostles. Three years, they just got saved. Well, they were called. Jesus lived with them. Well, does he live with you? Last time I heard, he takes up residence in your heart. He says, I never leave you or forsake you. <laughs> Charles Stanley wrote a book years and years and years ago. I mean, this is back 30 years ago. He wrote a book called Confronting Casual Christianity. And this statement bears being repeated even in our generation. It says, the severest sin of Christianity today is the, la the numbing lack of concern. It's the attitude, I don't care, and why should I concern myself? 
Apathy, complacency, indifference, and spiritual drowsiness and insensitivity are lulling the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to sleep. Here's the thing. Here's the subtle lie. Somebody else will do it. There's always somebody else. When Gideon was thinning out his frightened and indifferent soldiers, what he discovered is that one out of a hundred was brave and really meant business. Started with 30-some thousand, ended up with 300. I trust the percentage is a little bit better here. (laughs) However, it has been stated that one-fourth of the members of the average church could be dropped from the roles of the church, and they would never know it happened. And the church would be no weaker as a consequence. Because the unorganized indifference within the ranks of the church is becoming far more destructive to the work of the Lord than all the organized forces of iniquity coming against it from outside. See, we need Christian men and women to rise up. We need men and women to rise up and live their designed potential. We need people that will make a difference on their job, in their home, in their neighborhood, at their grocery store. People that will make a difference because they simply care. People that say, you know what, there's something invested in me. There's something that's been breathed into me, and that can't be lost. Look at church, some of you could make huge difference. You say, how could I make a huge difference? I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to make huge difference. You say, how, what's the, how? Be a nursery worker. Oh, there you go. See, that's, that's what this is about, isn't it? Now we know what you're doing, preacher. You just need help in the nursery. No, no. There's children that need your prayer over them. They need you to pray over them. They need you to speak over them. There's children in our children's church that need a grandma or grandpa or a mother or father figure that will speak into their life. That'll say, it's okay. Life is okay. You're going to be okay. God's right here with you. We need people that will work the soundboard. We need people that will work the words. We need people that will work the lighting. We need people to run the camera. So why is that so important? Because believe it or not, there are people watching right now from Facebook. Amen. That some of them, they can't get out of their house for various reasons. And this is the church that they get. And that's how we serve in the kingdom. We need people that will, with a smile and a handshake, will greet people as they come in. We need people that will follow up. We need people that will be spiritual mothers and fathers that will love the unlovely. That will just come in and say, you know what, it's okay. I know you're a mess, but that's all right. Jesus specializes in messes. I was a mess, but God came into my life, and he made me something new. He transformed me. Somebody extended grace. I found hope, and I experienced transformation because somebody took serious what was on, on the inside of them. They began to realize that they were not just a random person, that they were not just somebody that showed up. They weren't an accident somewhere, but God had a purpose for them, and they said, I can make a difference in the corner of the world that I live. Are you hearing me? 
See, in Christianity, many have become consumers rather than servants. Most, most Christians today are more concerned about what God is doing for them rather than what they can do for God. Are you hearing me? Now listen to me. I'm not, I'm not saying these things as an indictment. I'm not saying these things to be harsh and hard and condemning or religious. I'm saying this today. God loves you and he will provide for you. He says, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, I will meet all your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God absolutely cares about your life, and he absolutely cares about what's going on in your life. But church, let me tell you something. It was never meant to be a one-sided thing. You and I are called to be in partnership. We are called to be co-laborers with God. We are joint heirs with him. That means that we enter into him, into his kingdom, and we have a part in it. Can you say amen? And there is an investment of our life in the kingdom. Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? The question is, how am I stewarding my life? I think about Nehemiah. This is a man that restored a city. He touched a generation. He, he made impact. He fulfilled his call. He was an ordinary man, common, plain, simple. The fact was he was nothing more than a slave. He was a cupbearer in the palace of an ungodly king. He had no special degrees. There was no noticeable talents. There were no supernatural signs from heaven. But one day, Nehemiah hears about his home. He hears about Jerusalem that he loved. Oh, they had restored the temple. What's the, what does that mean? That means the presence came back. They had restored their position with God. But the walls were broke down. You ever wonder about people who get saved but still have problem after problem after problem after problem? That's because the walls are broke down. They haven't finished the job. They restored the temple. The temple's in place. The king is taking up residence in their heart. But the walls were broken down. What does that mean? It means they were vulnerable to attack. It means anyone and everyone who wanted to plunder the city could. Oh, yes, the presence of God was there. But they did not finish the job. They didn't rebuild the walls. And too often Christians are that way. They, they bring Christ into their heart, but they, they don't rebuild the walls. So Nehemiah comes on the scene. He hears about the plight of Jerusalem. He knows the temple. Ezra had rebuilt the temple. But the walls were broke down. So he begins to pray and he begins to fast. Something got a hold of him. Then he goes to the king, which was a death sentence. But he had found favor with the king, and he says, if you will let me go, I'll go do this. I'll, I'll go restore the land of my birth because this is how I serve God. And because of that man's decision, God gave him favor. So the king says, I'll tell you what, I'll send you, and I'll pay the bill. That's the old statement, God's will, God's bill. Yeah. 
So God, so this, so the king gives him letters of favor. He gives him letters where he could go to various places and the materials that he needed. He goes, and you know, I'm not going to get caught up. That's a whole nother sermon. But the point is, is that he comes to a place where he does what he could and he finds out he was the man for the day. It was this, this is what we needed. I wonder today what you could be. I wonder what you could make a difference in. You will never know until you step up. I said, well, how do I step up? Well, there's a few things that you need to grab a hold of. Number one, you got to be driven by passion. See, that's the quality that Nehemiah had. There was a passion inside of him. Passion is an indispensable quality. Because passion is what makes ordinary people extraordinary. It's what propels them. It's what drives them beyond the routine and beyond the commonplace. It's passion. It's what makes us sacrifice and give and hang in there when no one else will. It's passion. It's being fervently in love. Jesus was a man of passion. The Bible says the disciples were reminded of the scripture. It says the zeal for the house of God eat him up. He was a man of passion. We need to be people of passion. Say, well, how do I get that passion? What you pay attention to, you create a passion for. The truth is today, we create passions for all kinds of things. And we wonder why do they have such control in our life? Because you're paying attention to it. Let me tell you something. If you pay attention to TV, you'll create a passion for it. If you pay attention to golf, you'll create a passion for it. If you pay attention to your vehicle, you'll have a passion for it. If you pay attention to the kingdom of God and what he's doing, you'll create a passion for it. We need to be driven by passion. But passion is not enough. Passion is what drives men and women, but it'll never sustain them. For the long haul, we need something more. We need a vision. See, without vision, passion is nothing more than a flash in the pan. Without vision, we tend to stumble around, never really accomplishing anything. There's a lot of busyness, but very little progress. Without vision, we'll never make a difference. Somewhere you've got to see. You've got to say, you know what, I could see it getting done. See, when I look over this church, I don't see empty chairs. I see it filled. I see a third, a fourth, a fifth service on Sunday. So that's going to be a busy day for you. Fine. It's okay. I see more people than this building can hold. You see, why? You want a big church? Nope. I just want lots of people saved. I want to see the kingdom of God advance. I want to see the promises of God. I see people being healed and delivered and set free. I see people getting their minds back, their marriages restored, their children brought home. I see finances and deliverance. I see God moving. That's my vision. He is a gracious God. And there is lots of hope. And he wants to give us transformation. That's what I see. That's what I'm going after. Driven by passion, guided by vision. A blind man's world is bound by the limits of his touch. 
An ignorant man's world is limited by the depths of his knowledge, but a great man's world is limited only by the extent of his vision. And the third quality is we need to be seized by opportunity. In other words, we need to be ready to go. Right. When the opportunity avails itself, run. Right. That means we need to be prepared. That means that we need to be ready. And we need to seize the opportunity. I'll tell you a story. If it was not for my wife, my life would have been... 100% different than it is today. Back in 1988, it was the beginning of September, is the last week of August, the beginning of September. Pastor Pennington, Howard Pennington, the pastor, if you don't know who he is, the pastor before me, he came to me one day and tapped me on the shoulder. He says, upstairs right now. We had an upstairs down in the building downtown. I thought I was in trouble, man. I begin as I'm walking those stairs, I'm going through everything. I'm, you know, Jeff Adams at the time was the assistant, and I'm thinking, did I talk back to Jeff? Did I, you know, what, what did I do? You know, what did I do? I did, I must have done something wrong because it looked like Howard was mad. And I had been in that place before and didn't want to be in that place again. So I get up there, he says, sit down. Okay. So I sat down, and he goes, John, he goes, a church has come open in Needles, California. And he says, this is an opportunity for us to put you in there at, at a very uh, 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 low cost. You'll be close enough that I could still have interaction with you, and um, this is an opportunity for you to be what you say you're called to be. And you know what I said? Nope. I'll tell you the reasons why. Number one, who wants to go to Needles? Right. No kidding. It's 130 degrees down there, man. Who wants to live in Needles, California? I did not. Number two, I was kind of scared. I was 21. Kathy was 19. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I didn't want to go. So I said, no. So Howard looked at me, and he goes, that's okay. He goes, now, from now on, quit whining about not having ministry. That's what he said. That's what he said. That was the end of the conversation. I go, I go home. I call my wife. She's at work. I call her. I said, Howard just offered a church to me down in, uh, down in Needles, to us, down in Needles. And she goes, that's what you've always wanted, isn't it? I said, yeah. She goes, well, this is an opportunity. We should seize it. That's a good 19-year-old. She had lots of wisdom then. Lots more now. So I called Howard back, and I go, hey, is that church still open? <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, are you serious? I goes, I'm serious. Two weeks later, we were in Needles, pastor in that church. Two weeks later, and that set my life on a course because we seized the opportunity. It was not the most desirable place. And quite honestly, it was very difficult. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for the world. Why? Because it did 
what nothing else could do. It gave me my shot. It, it opened the door. And I'm telling you today, every person sitting in this room, there is a plan for your life. It may not be Needles, California. It may not be pastoring or, you know, someplace in Africa. It might be that God just wants you to give. It might be that he just wants you to pray over babies. It might be that he just wants you to be in the prayer team. Just pray for me. We need it. It might be a whole lot of things. Ask him. Ask him. He's not afraid to talk to you. Go home and say, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Who am I created to be? And then go be it. It may not even be about the church. You see, can ministry go outside the church? Heaven's sakes, yes. It's supposed to. We need to seize the opportunity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So in closing, as Jason comes, we need to uncap the well of our potential. We need to get rid of the things that are holding us back. We need to identify them. And then we need to remain attached to the source. We need to develop our relationship with God. Can you say amen? And then we need to challenge our ability. Teddy Roosevelt said it best. He said, your ability needs responsibility to expose its possibilities. Do what you have with what, do what you can with what you have where you are. It is never insignificant. Jesus put it this way. He says, even when you give a a cup of cold water to a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. So what does that mean? That means that big things happen, even with little actions. It means you can make a difference and change the world. But you gotta make a choice. You could sit there and let the rest of the world go by. Or you could say, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? Don't waste your life. Allow it to be what God's called it to be. Step into it. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you. I pray for each and every one in this room today, God, that you, we begin to reveal to them that which you have planned for them. Father, I pray that you would stir them, God, towards your will and towards your plans, their destiny. Father, that you would get a hold of them and and quicken them. Help them, Father. Minister, help people to rise up. Help them to rise up into the plan of God. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit move upon this people. I wonder if every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but you'd like to give your life to Christ. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Lift it up all across this place. All across this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can look up at me this morning. I encourage you today to step out. We need you. We need you. Step out and do what God's called you to do. Can you say amen? Stand to your feet. Our prayer team is coming. 
to minister to you. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you, minister to you. God bless you. We will see you next week. You have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon. God bless. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.